Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 153 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at centralized payment processes for charging. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to say that I've got a couple of people lined up for the season-ending roundtable. I'm also looking now at possible topics. What do you think we should be looking at and discussing? Let me know at evmusings at gmail.com. Our main topic of discussion today is centralised charging payment processes. Uh, Before you yawn and scream, boring, bear with me a moment. The UK has 80 different charge point operators. Traditionally, a new charge point operator will create their own app or RFID card. And the more you use, the more apps you're going to get on your phone to be able to use these networks. But it doesn't have to be like that. Of course, all new devices in the UK should have the ability to provide ad hoc payment. This usually means contactless, but it can mean a QR code to take you to a web page where you enter your payment details. Obviously, one of these options is more preferable to the other. So how do we deal with the fact that if contactless payment is available or desired, how can we make sure that as many operators as possible can be accessed without needing a plethora of apps cluttering up your phone? Well, the answer is through using a centralized payment app. There are several on the market at the moment. Our marquee sponsor ZapMap allow you to use the app to pay for charges on several different networks. Octopus Energy, through their Electric Juice subsidiary, have the Electric Universe app, which has quite a few more networks attached to it. And you can use that card to put public charging costs onto your home electricity bill. But both of these, indeed all of these, suffer from one key issue. They need all the CPOs signed up to them to make them work. Now, it has to be said that some of the more forward-looking charge point operators, such as Osprey Charging, have an excellent back-office network, which allows them to link into any number of external apps, such as ZapPay and Electric Universe. But not all charge point operators are as forward-looking or as open. There are still major CPOs in this country who steadfastly refuse to allow any access to their networks from external companies. So I want to talk today about these sort of apps and to cover a couple of different aspects. Why do we need these apps if everything can be done with contactless? Why don't all networks want to do this? And what's next? I'm joined today by Neil Riddle. Neil works with Power, P-A-U-A, who have developed one of the market-leading certified apps that do exactly what we've been talking about. Welcome, Neil. I was listening to a webinar you were recently on, and you described an excellent image, which is your 2 by 2 matrix about the charge point operators and their attitude towards being part of the app. Would you care to share that with the listeners? Yeah, of course. Uh, This is kind of how I describe the evolution that our um, EV charge point operator networks have been on here in the UK. Back in the day, there were a number of um, small operators who are now the big operators. So you had the BP Pulses, uh, originally ChargeMaster, PodPoint, Ecotricity and Electric Highway, which is now GridServe, and of course, you can't forget Tesla. And there was a certain amount of tension between those groups. So roaming didn't naturally evolve in the UK like it did in a number of other European countries. As a consequence, we've ended up with this landscape, which is, as you described, a a two-by-two matrix. And all strategists love a good two-by-two matrix. And very broadly, um, you've got those who can do roaming 
and those who can't do roaming. And then you've got those who want to do roaming and those who don't want to do roaming. And that forms the four boxes in this two-by-two matrix. Um, and what we've established is that the ones where we've had most success you know, building partnerships, building relationships, are those sort of European or mid-sized regional or, or, or national players who are interested in roaming, uh, as in a concept of enabling multiple drivers to access their infrastructure, but also who have the, you know, the, the technical wherewithal to be able to deliver um, on the ability, the technical integration to bring all of that infrastructure together. And consequently, we, we won early on uh, the relationships with Mer and uh, Chargy, um, and then in turn, Osprey, Fastnet, and others. And then you've got a group which is, we really want to do this, but we're not quite big enough, and therefore we can't actually do it yet. And these tend to be the sort of pioneer networks. They're often small regional networks that have been set up by you know, a local entrepreneur, and they haven't quite got to a larger scale. So their the back office doesn't support it, but they know that they want to roam with others mm. as time passes. Then you've got uh, the box of we can do it, but we don't want to do it. Or maybe we don't want to do it quite yet. We'll get back to you later. And in there, you've got the sort of uh, the larger dominant rapid charging networks of the UK who are slowly transitioning into a world of recognizing that roaming is the right thing for infrastructure providers to do. And then my last box, the favorite box, is those who can't do it and won't do it. They just don't have an interest in, in the roaming capabilities of the world. They, they believe they have the solution themselves. They don't need anyone else to work with. And they're living in their own little isolated dream and they don't necessarily want to move forward. And fortunately, we're starting to see most charge point operators sneaking out of that box into the either we want to but can't quite do it yet or the we can do it, but we're not quite ready to do it with everyone. So we're hoping to see a more universal access process for this landscape for business drivers because credit cards are being pushed quite hard on people but realistically business drivers need a slightly different solution i'm going to come to that in a second just picking up on what you said though if i look at offerings such as ZapMap, for example you will find that there are a number of charge point operators who won't provide live status for their charges uh, not naming any names but is it fair to say that those are probably the same charge point operators who fall into your can do it but don't want to part of the matrix? The, the, the logical assumption would be that that is correct, but we've got a number of partners that sit in that uh, that group of uh, uh, of networks who we have live data for, we have uh, roaming uh, capability with, but are not currently providing that data to ZapMap. So it's not necessarily a straight conclusion that ZapMap's live network partners are immediately going to be the ones who do roaming. Looking through the list, there's two or three in that list. Um, Ionity is a great example, not listed as one of the, the premium partners inside ZapMap, but is you know clearly a roaming partner for many. Let's touch back on the, the point you've just made about contactless. Obviously, the, the government is mandating that new charges should be we say contactless, but it's not. It's You should be able to start one on an ad hoc, ad hoc basis. People take that to mean contactless. And that's kind of the expectation. And yet you're coming here and going, well, we've got a, you know, a card, we've got an app. What are the benefits of that? Why would somebody think, okay, I need another app on my phone or I need another card in my wallet to be able to access this? What are they getting that they're not getting from just being able to swipe on a contactless? I don't know if you've come across the, the popular cartoon XKCD, but there's this lovely cartoon in XKCD that goes, there's too many standards. I know what we need. We need another standard. 
And as a consequence, you know, N plus one occurs. And we're, we're in that dangerous position where we are potentially that N plus one. There are 80 different networks in the UK. And hey, along comes power and we introduce another app and another card. So now there's 81 apps and 81 cards. I guess the thing we're trying to do is overcome the necessity for a driver to have every single one of those 80 charge cards or 80 charging apps and instead pick one, ideally power, um, or your preferred roaming solution. That means you don't need a network app and a network card for each individual network. And yes, some drivers will still have a preferred network that they like to work with, um, or they'll just use their credit card. But the idea is, particularly for business drivers, you can't put a, you know, a new driver straight into an electric van and say, hey, here's 25 apps to download. This one works like this. This one works like that. Put £10 of credit on this one and subscribe to that one because it's never going to work. So as a consequence, what we're trying to do is give businesses the tools so they can go, here's one card. It's got the largest single network in the UK attached to it. Here's an app that tells you where all those charge points are and effectively give them an experience that I remember hearing quoted, which was, it's not like the old days where you just gave them a van and a fuel card. Well, maybe it is. It's the new days where you give them an electric van and an electric fuel card and set them off running with the solutions they need to be able to charge their vehicle out on the road. Interesting. Uh, I think we're kind of migrating over to talking specifically about the application that you've got for fleets. Do you want to talk about how that's going to work? I mean, you've, you've touched on it there, but what, what does a fleet get if they sign on to your service? Yeah, so there's, there's kind of a bit of history in this this story, which is um, when I was with EDF, one of the things we were quite keen on doing was launching a solution that enabled us to have a, a, a residential electricity customer drive out down the highway, find a charge point, plug in, charge, and have all the costs of that public charging go back onto their home electricity bill. And this is kind of the problem statement that my business partner and I sat down to discover. And as we did so, we realized that the customer group really suffers is, is businesses and kind of like as we described, it's being able to give the tools to the driver. So a business can't really issue credit cards to drivers. Um, the ability to, to do so is restricted by how that card is used or what abuse might occur. So you don't tend to see businesses handing out credit cards willy-nilly for accessing public charging. Um, plus, the data you get from a credit card doesn't necessarily give fleets visibility of what their, their charging looks like for their drivers. We wanted to give a, a fleet manager a set of tools that would enable them to gain some control and visibility over what that charging looks like. So um, the fleet signs up with power. Uh, we give them a power charge card. Uh, we give them the ability for each of their drivers to have a, the mobile app. You can simply download it, click on the map, and you've got uh, the power map. You don't need to log in. But if you do have a, an account assigned to you, that app will enable you to charge as well. So the, the app acts as a backup to your RFID card. Um, and realistically, the bit that's important is we then aggregate all of that charging data together into one invoice. And we pass that invoice back to the fleet manager. So the fleet manager has the one aggregated invoice that they need to pay. It means they've got visibility of their tax spend, their financial spend over the month. But they've also got a live dashboard. And then real time, they can see their drivers charging. They can see where they've charged, when they've charged. They can analyze, download all that data, analyze it as they wish. You know, are people charging at night during the day? Are they really taking breaks or are they charging their vehicles? Um, and understand the behaviors of that fleet so they can gain a bit more control of this new electrified universe. Uh, 
Um, so in effect, what we're doing is giving the fleet manager a bit more control over their electric fleet. Now, I was chatting this morning with somebody who works in the the co-charger sort of arena, which is, because from what I've heard uh, you described there, you're very much focused on public charging, maybe rapid, maybe seven kilowatt destination charging. But he's looking more at for people who don't have, particularly fleets, who don't have access to a home charger and being able to give them access to somebody else's home charger. And I noticed that you've linked in with um, Joel Teague and his his folks at CoCharger. Do you want to talk about how that's going to work with uh, with what you've just talked about? Yeah, totally. We, um, we had a customer approach us who said, um, we're about to roll out a whole load of electric vans. And whilst we think it's great that you've got a public charging solution, you know, some of those vans might want alternative charging opportunities. Uh, not all of them have the benefit of a street lamp charger or a, a car park with an electric vehicle charge point in it near their homes. What about these peer-to-peer charging solutions? Uh, so we approached Joel with this idea, and I think Joel was straight on board that, you know, enabling drivers to gain additional visibility of the co-charger hosts would enable that driver to then have a bit more confidence around their charging. You know, at the heart of what we're doing, we believe that technology can play a fundamental role in decarbonizing the economy. And therefore, what we see our role in doing is making it easier for people to adopt the tools to decarbonize their fleet. And one of those big problems is charging. So how do we help them overcome the problem? And this is about giving the driver choice. Uh, if the driver doesn't want to go and use a rapid charger every day because it's inconvenient for them, but they do want to find themselves a host, we can show them where the hosts are. Uh, they then go and sign up separately with CoCharger and off they go. Uh, happy days. Um, as we move forward with CoCharger and other peer-to-peer partners, what we'd love to do is enable that payment ecosystem to work so the driver can pay their host with power uh, and the fleet manager can receive that aggregated bill at the end of the month, including the CoCharger bill. And as you're probably aware, there's a number of other parties in the, in the peer-to-peer ecosystem who offer similar services, and we'd like to, over time, add those to our community charging network to give drivers the maximum amount of choice and make it as easy as possible to charge when they're um, when they're at home or near their home. What's your thinking on the stats for those that can't charge at home, particularly from a fleet point of view? Uh, I've had discussions with Joel from CoCharger. He throws out figures of, you know, 50% of drivers can't charge at home. If you look at the official government figures, they say 72% of car drivers have off-street parking, so 18% can't charge at home. I was speaking with Mike Strayham from uh, Just Charge recently, and he said it's as many as 75% of fleet drivers can't charge at home. What's your sense for the stats from a power point of view? What do you think it is? You will be familiar with the quote of 97.5% of facts being made up on the spot. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try and avoid doing that. But you know, in terms of my sense, there's a lot of people who need an alternative to private driveway. And the rationale I would draw from that is, I, like you, have heard similar numbers. You know, the 72% and 18% is really interesting. So you have a driveway or you have a, a private parking space is probably a better way of putting it. But if your private parking space is three floors below you in your block of flats and is owned by the landlord, it's not the same as being on a nice terraced house with a drive, you know, a private driveway right up to your front door. You can't just go and install a charger. So although there's a lot of people who might have access to some form of private parking, it's not always a kind of private parking that enables you to screw a charge point onto the wall beside your car and charge it conveniently every night. So 
I think it's really important that we break down what is meant by those who have access to private parking. There's plenty of examples of small private car parks beside multi-occupancy buildings where you're never going to install charges without landlord permission and you know complex electrical configurations. So the number 18% and 72% is probably wrong. Mark Stubbs over at GridServe, you know, very broadly gave this analogy, which is of the people who do have access to some form of private parking, maybe half um, own that driveway and it's convenient for them to install a charge point. And as a consequence, if you take, you know, the half of the of those who can do it, say 72 divided by what's that, 36%, and add it back to the 18%. You might get a more realistic number for those who are going to have challenges with having a, a private charge point right outside the house. So I'm not going to give you a precise number, but I do get the impression that there will be plenty who struggle to get this solution to work for them. And therefore, there will be needs for different ranges of solutions, be that a street lamp charger, um, you know, Ubertricity chargey style, be that a uh, Trojan lance that you insert into the ground, be that a pop-up charger from Urban Electric be that one of these new emerging beams that swings out over the pathway, I don't know the answer, but it's quite clear that there's a problem there that plenty of people are really trying to fix. One of the things I talk about quite regularly on the podcast is the whole concept of plug and charge. And whilst every charge point operator I've spoken to and every charger manufacturer that I spoke to has said, oh yeah, ours can do that, there's very few that have actually implemented full plug and charge. My understanding is that one of the issues underlying it is it's all token-based, so you've got to be able to identify who's going to pay for it, and you need a different token for each charge point operator. Whereas you're providing a solution that allows payment across multiple charge point operators. Is there a possibility to get power to be the people who hold and manage the token to enable plug and charge in a much wider way than it's currently implemented? Oh, this is this is quite a deep and detailed question, but let's have a shot at it. <laughs> um, so, so let's firstly start by saying that there are some different variations to plug and charge. Uh, you've got plug and charge, which is most commonly referred to, which is the ISO 15118 standard. Uh, this is a, you know, a, a standard which hasn't been fully implemented to enable a full plug and charge experience yet. But it's getting very, very close. And as a consequence, a lot of people are looking at it as the holy grail. Uh, the most interesting feature I see of that is that it enables a whole bunch of characteristics of energy transfer between the car and the grid. Um, and you know, to some extent, it also enables things like vehicle to grid. So you've got ISO 15118. You've then got the little brother of ISO 15118, which is DIN spec 17 something, when I can't for the life of me remember it. But DIN spec was written before the ISO standard and is a simplified version of plug and charge, which is a effectively it, it captures the MAC address of your vehicle. It stores that the first time you charge. And every time that vehicle turns up, it uses the MAC address to enable an automated charging process. And what that gives us a clue towards is the automation question. How do you ensure that a driver can just pull up and charging starts automatically? Um, well, the, the beauty of that would be one whereby there is a complete digital handshake between the car and the charge point, and that's effectively what 15.11.8 tries to standardize. But for 15.11.8 to work, it needs, like you say, a token to be issued by the um, the automotive OEM, the, the people who make the car, so 
be that Volkswagen or Audi or Porsche, installed on the vehicle at the time of the car's uh, manufacture as it rolls off the factory floor. You need the charge post, wherever that might be located, to also store and hold a token. And you need those systems to update one another so that when your Porsche Taycan rolls up to your Ionity charger in Maidstone, uh, it can plug in. The two tokens can recognize one another. They can check that there's a relevant payment uh, method attached to that account because you're creating an account. And as a consequence, the charging session starts. It gets hellishly more complicated when you start to introduce the idea of business vehicles or you know, some form of commercial vehicle. The most complex is probably something like a, a business driver who's driving some personal use. You know, I drive my family around at the weekend, but also some business miles. I'm on the road and I'm selling goods and services during the week. They pull up and if they you know, use their corporate account, then they're going to have to look at how they manage their personal miles. Uh, but they might have a personal account and then they're into a world of having to switch between these two sets of tokens. BMW recently announced that they have now enabled that feature where you can have more than one token listed on the vehicle. So to give you the answer to your question around where would power sit in that, well, we would effectively be authorizing a a business token for a multiple range of vehicles. Uh, But let's say you work for um, EDF, my old employer. If EDF had a company car and you were driving your company car, you could choose to use the EDF charging session to manage your, your that particular charge because you're on business miles. And at the weekend, you might choose to top up on your personal miles. You can imagine the complexity that then starts to emerge around filling up on a Friday night so you've got a full, ta- uh, a full battery for the rest of the weekend. Or, you know, how do you compensate for home charging? And quite quickly, this whole ecosystem starts to expand and explode as a, a complex problem to solve. We've actually enabled previously an alternative to both the DIN spec and the ISO standard where we implemented a plug and charge event with a Renault Zoe that's not capable of 15.11.8 and a MER AC charge point, which is not capable of 15.11.8. And we effectively did what we described earlier, which is we created a digital handshake and we enabled the automation of that charging session. So we know there's multiple different ways we can deliver plug and charge. However, As with many technology sets, the primary thing that we all need to make sure we do is keep it super simple for the consumer and remove all the complexity from them. Uh, The consumer wants to be able to pull up, plug in, and get a charge, and that's what we're aiming to deliver. That means that we need to make uh, some of these really complex problems go away for the consumer. So we're very focused on how we could do that. We also know that the vehicles aren't quite ready for the plug and charge standard as defined by 15.11.8 and neither of the charge points. So as a consequence, uh, we don't see many charge sessions happen of that nature. We are looking at how we would implement it, but today it's not a a focus for us. Do you know, I've I've spoken about plug and charge on any number of occasions to any number of people, and you're the first person who's actually come up and mentioned that little twist that I hadn't anticipated, which is plug and charge on a business account versus plug and charge on a private account using the same vehicle. And it just throws it into a completely different level of complexity when you do that. So no wonder it's taking forever to to get in place. Sorry about that. (laughs) Let's uh, come back to your company specifically. What was your business model? How are you making money out of this? We sat down and went, there's a problem here. And whenever there's a problem, there's an opportunity to create value for a customer by removing the problem. One of the primary problems we're solving is aggregating receipts and simplifying that payment cycle. 
getting a receipt to have an electric vehicle charge point is uh, horrendous. Um, you effectively have to uh, ring someone, call someone, provide them with a bit of your credit card, maybe the time of day, whether the moon was rising or falling. Uh, you wait a few weeks, and maybe if you're lucky, they might send you a receipt. So there's a whole complexity in the receipt space. So one of the things we've done is we take on all the payment relationship with the charge point operators. Uh, they invoice at the end of the month. We then count up who's charged where and when, and we then invoice forward on, on those invoices across to our, our fleets. And what that means is we're basically passing through the cost of ele- electric vehicle charging to the fleet. We're not doing anything funny around trying to create um, huge discounts or flat prices because we know that a lot of these charge point operators you know, like to retain their control of how they price their networks. So we're basically providing a receipt aggregation service. And for that service, we charge those fleet managers a subscription fee. And it's not something that they're going to get too worried about. It's less than your cappuccino once a month. And as a consequence, they're, you know, they're getting a reasonable level of service by aggregating the largest network in the country into a single bill. And their drivers are getting the simple tools to enable them to get out and charge up and down the highways of the country. So we're making it as simple as possible for fleets to adopt electric and for them to provide a solution for their drivers to give the the driver confidence that they're not going to get caught out while they're out and about. So at the moment, there's no option for Joe Public to get one of your cards. It, it has to be, I'm reading at the moment, your solution is only available to registered UK businesses at the moment. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm sat here in my spare bedroom, but I can, you know, my business partner is miles away from where I am now. And I could already see him frowning at me when we talk about B2C. The idea of offering a B2C solution is something we debate extensively on a regular basis. But we're also super conscious that it's not something that we provide as a service today. You quite often find, and you can read plenty of forums where people go, why would I pay more money for a service when I could just use my credit card? And those people are right. They're not going to gain additional value from our service. Our service is providing value to fleet managers and to businesses who want to adopt electric vehicles. It doesn't provide huge amounts of value that are justifiable to pay an additional service fee of us for what we do. That does change, though, when you consider some of the capabilities we've been building recently where we can now effectively white label and offer this service to to a business so they can then service their own customers with a roaming solution. Uh, So we have recently enabled a B2B2C solution, and we're working with a number of different partners to bring those B2B2C solutions to life. I hope we'll be announcing a few of them before the end of the year. But effectively, it means that a brand who maybe sells electric cars or leases electric cars can offer a value-added service alongside the, the primary service of the sale or the lease of an electric car. And we're quite excited about what we're going to be able to do to enable some of these emerging mobility-based companies to offer a service to their customers above and beyond simply the vehicle lease. So without naming names, it would be like, let's pick an example, the new Aura Cat, for example, that that snazzy little thing that looks a little bit like the old Volkswagen bug that they uh, unveiled at fully charged. It would be possible potentially for the dealers who are selling that to offer um, a version of your service to people who are buying or leasing those vehicles to help them do the charging under the B2B2C statute that you've just talked about. Is that right? Absolutely. So um, let's take Peter Vardy because Peter Vardy was a brand that recently announced they're working with the guys at Aura. Could we enable Peter Vardy to create a white-labeled solution so that every time they sell an Aura cat, the, the customer has a tool to enable them to access, say, 
£200 of free charging when you buy your Aura Cat. Yes, that's exactly what we're building. And it's exactly the kind of conversations we're having at the moment with a number of different partners around how we better enable the driver or simplify the experience for the driver so that when they're standing considering this car in a dealership or when they're looking at an online website to purchase this vehicle, it removes one of the concerns and barriers they might have to purchasing that vehicle. So yeah, we're seeking to try and simplify that journey for drivers to enable them to adopt more electric vehicles by giving this as a service to businesses. So if I was somebody who is currently running or managing a fleet, or if one of my uh, listeners is in that situation, how would they start or go about uh, using your service or initiating your service? Do they have to contact you? Is it all done through the website or what? I I love a good conversation. So if people want to contact me, I'm always happy to speak to them. There is a simple sign-up form through the website. Uh, We're about to relaunch that website, and it'll probably be going live in the next few weeks with an even simpler process for people to sign up. But in principle, people can go direct to the website and buy now, or if they want to discuss any of the characteristics around what we do or how we can simplify it or the classic questions I get of, is such and such network included? Uh, More than happy to have those conversations, set a meeting up, do a demo. But realistically, you know, people can self-serve and that is the intention that they can self-serve. They can be up and running and charging within 10 or 15 minutes if they chose to do that. Now, I'm looking at the moment at the sign-up screen and you've got two, it's basically two offerings. You've got your standard, which is for a minimum of two drivers and a maximum of 20. And then you've got the enterprise version. Uh, And obviously, you've got custom pricing for the enterprise version. Is that purely uh, an economy of scale thing from your point of view? Why why is it that you would have a separate pricing level for more drivers? What's what's the benefit for the customer? Well, what's the benefit for you to having that uh, different pricing level? There's definitely an economy of scale, but there's often a, a nuance around supply chain and procurement purchases. If you look at the, the fleets who are adopting electric vehicles today, you know many of these fleets are thousands of vehicles strong, and they've got maybe 15 or 20 electric vehicles within that fleet. So you could go, it's a small electric fleet, but realistically, there's a massive procurement machine behind that. And many of them struggle with the idea of going to an online website, clicking a box and signing up. They want to be able to negotiate terms and conditions, include specific clauses, get you to fill in procurement and supply chain forms. So we're engaging with those customers um, as and when they emerge to make sure that we're able to provide this service to some of the largest fleets in the country. We're doing that very deliberately because we know that some of those really big fleets are the ones who are are taking the bravest steps into adopting electric vehicles first. So we're trying to support them with the the largest network possible because it was the first question they asked us when we, we set out as a business, how big is your network? And we've been focusing on answering that question uh, for the last nine months you know, making the network bigger, making it more stable, offering them more choice. And as a consequence, they, you know, come to us for a specific service. And often that requires us to fill in specific procurement forms or specific routes. But, you know, the enterprise customers we're starting to deal with are, you know, they're pioneering, but they also want to work to their existing procurement supply chain standards. Having worked in a couple of big American multinationals for quite a few years, I can fully understand that. <laughs> uh, we talked earlier on about your business model. Did we talk about how you're funded at the moment? Oh, we didn't, but we can if you'd like. I would like that if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. We set out to fundraise in March 2020. March 2020 was a bit of an unusual month because this thing called COVID came along. And all the investors we went to speak to said, I'm really sorry, but we're not doing anything. 
So we took a rather large step backwards in March 2020, but we were fortunate to raise some funding through um, a couple of different government grants. So thank you, Innovate UK. Thank you, Department of Transport. We were able to pick up those government grants and run with them and build uh, the initial basis of this network. And that enabled uh, my business partner and I to step away from full-time employment in um, early 2021, dive into the world of entrepreneurship and technology and build a solution that's fit for the 21st century. Since then, we have raised additional funding. Uh, We raised some uh, money back in January from a couple of uh, the Europe's uh, leading uh, seed investors. Uh, Seedcamp, Speedinvest and Octopus Ventures all came on board. Um, and we brought on board a couple of angel investors alongside us as well. So we're very lucky to have some former directors from OVO, SSE, RWE amongst our investors. So as you can see, we've got sort of an energy sector background and we brought that energy sector investment interest together to try and enable us to support the future transition to an electric uh, transport model. Uh, right. Two final questions. Paint me a picture for the future of charging in the UK. That's it. That's good. It's good. Um, well, the first thing is that you're going to have these old rusted out hulks covered in spiders' webs of uh, petrol and diesel forecourts because they're still going to need to exist for a while longer. But you can see a future whereby uh, everywhere you go, there is charging. And if you're going to uh, drive to your local farm shop, there's going to be a bunch of chargers outside and you're probably just going to plug in and you might well find that a lot of these guys are giving it away for free, a bit like Wi-Fi. So I can imagine that the the seven kilowatt and destination charger model will be filled with uh, free charging opportunities in return for your time and attention. Think advertising screens. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more advertising screens connected to charging posts. I think we're going to see solid and consistent coverage of rapid chargers. I anticipate that the 50 kilowatt charger might well drop into our randomly named uh, fast category rather than being rapid. Um, and we're going to expect 150 kilowatts or more as standard. I have three children. Uh, I can't stop at a motorway service station for less than 30 minutes. But I recognize there are normal people out there who can probably get away with a 10 or 15 minute stop to run in, get a coffee and go to the toilet. And I'd expect that in that 10 or 15 minutes that those people are running in and out, they're able to get 150 plus kilowatt charging, probably 200 or 300 as we see different battery architectures emerge in the industry. But the one thing that's going to be universal to all of this is they're not going to want the faff that we have to deal with today. So removing the hassle associated with multiple cards, multiple apps is going to be something that's going to naturally happen. All the navigation will be in the car. We expect to see uh, charge points pop up inside the dashboard of cars. The cars will tell us how far they can go, where the next charging opportunity is. In an ideal world, you'll pull up, you'll plug in, and charging will start automatically. And there'll be one bill. Nobody wants multiple different bills. Just give me one bill. And for fleet drivers, that will be one harmonized bill that goes back to the fleet manager. And for the individual, it might well just be coming out of their, let's pick a random brand, their Neo account that they have for their car when they purchased it. You know, maybe they link their MasterCard or their Visa to it, but you know, it's a Neo account they have for charging. They hop back in their car, they're back on the road, they turn up at their Airbnb for the weekend, it has charging. They turn up at their hotel. It has charging. They don't need to book it. There's enough for everyone. And as a consequence, charging becomes a a habit, which is a combination of rapid charging when you're out on the road and browsing when you're you're local or you're at a destination. And we're not going to talk about it. That's the most interesting bit is people will look back at a podcast like this and goes, those guys spent 38, 45 minutes talking about charging 
that is that is such a you know a 2020 problem so i think you know the number one thing that i think is going to be different is nobody's going to talk about it so you know we're going to spend this half an hour educating people today gary but it's not going to live for many years beyond this i hope because people just won't want to talk about charging because it'll be so seamless and straightforward that this conversation will be irrelevant isn't that a great thing to say that'd be fantastic wouldn't it wouldn't it? I used to finish interviews like this by asking the king for a day question. If you were a king for a day, what would you change to improve the uptake of electric vehicles? But all the answers started to become very much the same. You know, I'd put more charges in and make them faster and make them easier to use. So I'm kind of swapping it around now. Final question. From a business point of view, what keeps you awake at night? You do know that we're an early stage tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the thing that keeps me awake at night is product market fit. Am I meeting the needs of my customers? It, have I got a solution that's creating value for them? What can I do to help them more? Hello, customers out there. How can I help you? What can we do for you? We've got the ability to bring 20,000 charge points into your pocket and slip it into your card and give you one of the most powerful IoT devices you can possibly have. But is that enough? What else do you want? So I guess you know the, the thing that keeps me up at night is knowing that I'm solving a problem that is helping people on this journey. Um, so that's probably the number one thing that's keeping me awake at night. Thanks to Neil for coming on and sharing his thoughts and ambitions around power. Uh, just to close the loop on something he said there, power is focused on fleets mainly. You need a subscription to use the power app or card. It's not expensive at the time of recording. It's about £3 per subscription per month, plus VAT for fleets of fewer than 100 vehicles. You don't get any discounts on charging, but for that subscription, you do get the power back office invoicing and billing, which will simplify your life if you have a fleet to manage. Neil also mentioned B2B to C offerings, and since the podcast was recorded, Power has partnered with a company called Move. They're using the Power offering to help Uber drivers in London. Together, Move and Power have created the Move Charge app, the first end-to-end EV charging network app specifically designed for ride-hailing drivers. The app will help drivers locate, pay for, and charge vehicles at over 6,600 charge points across London. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Former podcast guest Tom Swaffield Bray, you may remember him from the Mechanical Engineer episode a couple of weeks back, uh, number 149. He did a YouTube live stream last week where he discussed climate change, net zero, and some of the steps we need to take both personally and as a country to reach the goal. There were several questions he answered on various topics, but what he also did was put forward a five-step personal plan to make a difference in your own life about climate change. Now, I know there's a school of thought that says individual action won't make any difference without corporate and governmental action. But in many cases, this corporate or governmental action relies on prompts from the public about what they want. For example, if everyone stops buying new boilers and starts putting heat pumps in, that sends a message to the boiler manufacturers, as well as reducing the carbon footprint of space heating. Anyway, check out his video. It's about an hour long, but he's timestamped the various sections to make it easier to navigate. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. 
And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. It takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, You've Got Electric is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, You've Got Renewable is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZV with the words, it sounds like power, but it's spelled differently. Hashtag, if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon, you know he was lamenting the fact that there doesn't seem to be any consistency around places you can legally ride an electric unicycle or skateboard. I said, perhaps we need some sort of agreement about what the law is and what it should be. Maybe centralise the regulation. He agreed wholeheartedly. I, I don't know if you've come across the, the popular cartoon XKCD, but there's this lovely cartoon in XKCD that goes, there's too many standards. Thanks for listening. Bye.